Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. In this week's episode, we chat with Kira Sutherland about exercise during the menstrual cycle. We speak about the different phases of the menstrual cycle, how to exercise during those phases. We also chat about hypothalamic amenorrhea, PCOS, and of course, perimenopause. We also ask Kira about how Georgia has a different style of training. She likes CrossFit, more intensity style, whereas my sort of training would be a little more mild. Less and intense. Less intense. And so we pick her brain about how does that work for you? What's the best style of exercise? Just quietly, I feel like our style of exercise reflects our personalities. Would you agree? Oh, completely. So I've already started the day on a bit of a back foot. Why? Well, I got to work and I just felt uncomfortable in my body and I felt flabby. I felt like shaky. I just felt uncomfortable. And so I was just like thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to adjust my bra straps and realize that getting ready this morning, I didn't put my arms through my bra straps and my bra was just hanging real low without any support. I'm surprised you got to work. Like what's the commute? 20, 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. That's a long time being strappy. (laughs) strapless and then when we went to go get lunch i took my jumper off and realized that my shirt is inside out yeah i think you just better off turn around go home get your keys get your bag go back home and try again next week will always gets angry at me because i wear my undies inside out but On like purpose or no, is that just your reusing so them the second day? No, I just like, I don't <laughs> care. They do the same job. It's not like they're back to front. They're just oh, inside out. No, that gives me a twitch. A twitch? <laughs> well, I don't care. It's my thing. I've got there bigger fish go. to fry. Yeah, absolutely. Like your t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so backwards today. <laughs> what else has been happening this week? We've had a big week in clinic. I've been smashing the coffees. Have you? Yeah, I have. I've needed it. Single shot, double shot. What about how excited we got today about ordering a coffee? It's like, you were going to get a chai. I was like, get a coffee. I know. And all of a sudden I had all of this energy. Maybe that's all I need is for you to just be like, you know what? Let's get a coffee today. (laughs) I've already had a double shot. A third shot's just going to send me wild. And then in fact it did, didn't it? Because I came in here to try and record this podcast and... It's like, oh, I can't. Yes, I kept hearing you inhale. Yes, I just couldn't get a full breath. But that's how, like, when I get anxious, like if it's not even something that's making me anxious, but it's something like coffee that's just made me anxious. <laughs> that's how I get. I feel like I can't get a full breath. I feel like I'm going at a million miles an hour and I just like can't focus on anything. So I don't know, maybe. maybe And it's not like it's going to chill out anymore this weekend because you've got. Yes, it's Otto's birthday today. Well, yes, the day that we are recording this, not the day that it's released. Um, But Otto is three. Yeah, terrible threes, terrific threes. Look, I feel like two was pretty hard, um, but I actually feel that now that he can communicate better, like it's not. He doesn't hit and throw. Such a lie. I say this every podcast because I'm like, 
he's hitting and throwing again, but he's not as bad as what he was. So now that he can communicate, it's, I actually, I love it. It's fun. He's so hectic. He's just this wild little thing and loves to say no and eat ice cream for breakfast. And like this morning he got up and he said, where's my birthday cake? And of course it, I didn't have one because grandma had to make it <laughs> today. Um, so it'll be there for tonight, but um, you know, he's, you know, he's very strong. He knows what he wants. He knows what he wants. And I love that. Not in my household, but you know, I hope he carries it into his career. And also it's Leo season. He is such a Leo. Like, I don't know if I ever believed in star signs until I had Otto. <laughs> I was like, this boy is a lion. Kira is a naturopath, nutritionist, and sports nutritionist who has spent almost 30 years in clinical practice and has been a university lecturer for more than two decades. She specializes in women's health, sports nutrition, and weight loss, and we are so excited to have her here today. Hi, Kira. Oh, I like that intro. I need to steal that one. <laughs> we can give it to you. Thank like, oh, you. worded better than my bio. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. We would first love to know how you got into this field of more sports nutrition. Was it something you knew you always wanted to do? Was it a certain clientele demographic that came towards you or how did it come about? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I played, I was that girl that played every sport possible growing up. Um, I wouldn't have been your school sports captain but I would have been second or third runner up (laughs) so always did tons and tons of sports and then when I became a naturopath about the same time I graduated I really got back into doing sport and I heavily got into endurance uh, running and triathlon and and I was the naturopath inside of a gym so it all kind of came you know the universe kind of comes together and sets you on that path so it, 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 yeah, I mean, I didn't study sports nutrition and naturopathy, but then I later went and um, did post-grad studies. So you've yeah. combined both of them and do you still play sport or do you run I still? Do. Yeah. I do. I still play sport. I haven't triathloned in a while. Um, I just don't feel like getting on my bike, <laughs> yeah. but um, I do. I run and I'm signed up for an ultra marathon later in the year. So we'll just see how Amazing. my fitness level goes. And I'm a mad skier, both downhill and cross country. So lots of sports. I disappear during Australian summer to ski. <laughs> Sounds I, mysterious. I, yeah, I know. <laughs> I disappear. I'm, I'm American born, but I go to Canada at Christmas to see family and ski as much as possible. Get your snow fix. I do. My cold fix. I avoid yeah. the extreme heat for the ex- extreme cold. <laughs> Very ultra of you. Mm, it is it's always yes I don't I'm not a mild person (laughs) I am I'm like mild Chloe Sheehan (laughs) that's okay um so the reason why we have you on today is because you know so much in regards to training around menstrual cycle how hormones have an influence in you know a woman's uh, life cycle 
lifespan. And Mm -hmm. so I guess the questions that we'll be asking today is really on behalf of our clients, what they would want to hear specific for them. And so I guess we can sort of kick off and talk about training through the menstrual cycle for somebody who is not on, say, the pill or on a marina. They have a regular cycle ovulating. Give us a bit of a run through about the phases and exercises. Sure. And let me also state, I'm not a personal trainer or exercise physiologist. My knowledge around the exercising is really coming from reading a lot of the research and the, and knowing the physiology. So there are, I mean, there aren't definitive guidelines. The research in this area is really up and coming, but the suggestions that are here that have some evidence, but it's not super deep yet. But what I would say to all your clients is take this information and see how it feels for you. Some people will notice a massive difference. Other will be, people will be like, oh, I didn't really notice a difference. And that's okay too. So when it comes to the theories around women and their cycle is we have, you know, you have two parts of the cycle. You have the first half of the cycle, which you guys know this, but for your <laughs> listeners. Um, so day one of your period is day one of your cycle. And that if we had a really easy 28-day cycle, which we'll pretend, um, day one to day 14 is called the follicular phase. And we refer to that as a lower hormone phase, especially the first week is definitely quite low hormones. The second half of that cycle, you have estrogen increasing, but your progesterone is still low. So in that part of the cycle, being lower hormone Some people would say, oh, you're more similar to men. Well, we're never really similar to men. Let's get clear (laughs) on that with our hormones. But what it is, is we're not as dictated by higher hormones. So we, um, you know, once you get past the first day or two of your period, and again, some people will not feel great the whole time during their period, but a lot of people will feel good by day two or three of the period. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, easier to train harder during those first two weeks when you're kind of low overall hormone or you have estrogen happening without a lot of progesterone estrogen is quite anabolic it helps with building muscle it can make us feel great so there is research some research showing we can train harder we recover better we have better pain threshold potentially um there's a bunch of things where we're just feeling like I said to my clients you'll feel more badass during those first two can I say that yeah I love that you're gonna feel more badass (laughs) I can rip out any yeah I can do those too so you're gonna be more badass in those first two weeks and you potentially might feel like you get better gains more easily because you don't have a lot of progesterone and progesterone kind of tempers estrogen's beautiful building anabolic effect so that first half of the cycle we um deal with carbs better like our body utilizes our stored carbohydrates as fuel more easily which is probably why when we train really hard we feel pretty good because we're accessing our fuel tank easily um would that be the same with recovery as well during that time yes sorry i should have said that we potentially recover more easily, more quickly. So we have all these potentials during those first two weeks. So it's a great time to do your really harder training, your bigger sets. 
if you're a CrossFitter, which I know one of you is, um, or you like to do lots of HIIT training, you know, intense training, that first half of your cycle is a great time to focus a lot of that there. Your harder sessions, if you're going to competitions in any type of sport, if you could schedule when those are going to be, it's a great time of your cycle to have those competitions. We can't always be in charge of that. Whereas the second half of the cycle, so you have ovulation, hopefully around day 14, testosterone goes up a little bit, also a great time to feel great. Um, but then the second half of the cycle called the luteal phase, which would be day 14, 15 to 28, um, is where estrogen drops a little bit, but progesterone, if you've ovulated, progesterone gets really high. And progesterone um, demotivates us is the general way I'm going to say it. I mean, we can still feel pretty good that that third week and we can still train pretty hard. But by that fourth week, when a lot of women have their PMS, um, we feel bloated. We are bloated. We feel bloated. We're holding fluid slightly differently, more outside of our cells rather than inside. So we can feel a bit, this is where we feel squishier. And breast tenderness, potentially. tenderness. Your metabolic rate actually goes up because progesterone makes you hotter. Um, But it goes up anywhere from 90 to 240 calories a day. And we all eat like it's 240 calories, but most Mm -hmm. of us will only be an extra hundred calorie expenditure. We have cravings. There's research that your cravings go up for all macronutrients, carbs, proteins, fats. We crave sugar. We crave crave sweet. Um, You know, this is where I say lint, sea salt, dark chocolate. Oh, yeah. That's a phase. That's like a luteal phase. Like you should just market it as a PMS bar. (laughs) You know, and sodium at that time is not a bad thing. It helps pull fluid more into the cells. So it can actually make you feel less bloated. But this is where potentially we want to ease back a little bit on our training. If you feel great, you want to train hard, do it. But this is where I ask women to really check in with yourself. Do I feel good? Do I want to train hard? Or do I slightly need a day off? Is a walk looking better than a hard run or, Mm -hmm. you know, lifting? And the research, some research has shown your gains aren't as good in that second half versus the third half, first half. Other research doesn't agree, but again, we all have individual bodies as well, but potentially progesterone is not allowing that the same gains from the estrogen that you could have. Um, we don't recover as well. We're hotter, we're more tired, more emotional. Mm-hmm. We don't sleep as well, which means we don't recover as well. And we have a slightly harder time accessing our glycogen, which is our stored carbohydrates. So we become a little bit more fat dependent during training. And that sounds hypothetically good, but it actually means it doesn't feel good to train hard when you're not accessing your carbs as easily. So it's a better time to do your recovery, your slower, easier, you know, Pilates, yoga, walks, hikes, slow runs, easy weights, not not flogging yourself. And would that be a case of or an example of potentially maybe in that first half of your cycle, you feel better training fasted, whereas that may be in the second half, just something that you're, you don't do well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. Yes. You could be more tolerant to fasted training. I'm not, 
a huge fan of fasted training anyway. There's, you know, with females specifically, you know, for all of us, any sex, any gender, when you wake up, your cortisol is supposed to be at its highest for the day. And, um, and you want to turn cortisol down, right? And because cortisol suppresses the immune system, it suppresses fat burning, but cortisol being high, if you then train fasted, you're jamming your cortisol up even higher. Yes, you're potentially burning a few more grams of fat while you train, but without fueling yourself before training, you might not actually train as hard as mm. you could had you given yourself a teeny little bit, you know, 10, 20, 30 grams of carb means you're going to actually train harder and feel better the whole session. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of fasted training overall, maybe one mm. to two sessions a week. And if you're going to train fasted, it needs to be in slow, calm, definitely aerobic training. I hate hearing about people doing HIIT training or CrossFit, hard oh. training, fasted, mm. because if you're in anaerobic sport, you know, if you're above 60, 65% of your max output or your anaerobic threshold, you are predominantly burning carbs, which means you are thrashing through your glycogen. And if you give yourself a little bit of carb before, you're just going to feel so much better. So I'm interesting. I, I, mm, and, <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the CrossFit world is about fasted training. I know that. Mm. Um, but I would ask, and look, it's individual. Yes. You know, anything above threshold, you know, that anaerobic threshold actually probably feels better. You know, one date, half a banana, one piece of bread, just see how you feel. Mm. If you, most women come back and they're like, oh my God, I feel so much better exercising. Yeah, I didn't realize I was compromising myself for those few extra grams of fat burn, which, you know. We've, we've, that's an interesting topic. And and just um, before we jump into that, Kiri, you've got a great, you've got great recipes on your website. I think there's a smoothie, like a pre-workout or a post-workout. Post that, yeah, yeah. I think, I think they're great um, because, you know, a lot of the time people are like, okay, I, I know I should eat, but what do I eat? Mm, yeah. Um, and I think, so I, can I say I'm the crossfitter because you look at me and I do not look like a crossfitter, but I yes, do, do. crossfit. Gym. I assumed it was you. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to take that as a huge compliment. Yeah, that's a compliment. Um, you have a perfect body for crossfitting. Thank you. Uh, can we repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But what I was going to say is that I train at 5am. So I'm up at 4.30 so yeah. I can get it done before the kids wake up before I yeah. start my day like I'm not hungry at 4 30 no. but if it's one date you know like yeah, I think you can do that's, it that's not hard that's not yeah toast or like I feel like if I had a piece of bread that would but you know yeah. I would try it right yeah well let me know try it you'll probably feel better my other big thing which goes to the post training is my heart breaks when I hear about people continuing their fast after they finish training, you know, especially people that are really into intermittent fasting or IF. And they're like, oh, I'm going to fast until 12, but they're waking up at five to do hardcore training. And then they're continuing this fast. And that is metabolically, from my understanding of the research, it is metabolically causing a lot of havoc potentially. 
because once you get past, I would tell all my clients, I want everyone eating a meal within 30 to 40 minutes of finishing all exercise. That is when your body is primed to replace your stored carbs with the carbs you eat. Who doesn't want to eat carbs? Nobody. Mm -hmm. Like we love carbs. We're just scared of them. Post-training is like the safest time of day to eat your starchy carbs. You've worked out. You get to do it without even stressing about it. Also, obviously have some protein. But um, the longer you go from the time you train to the time you eat, your body isn't capable is making as much glycogen or stored carbs from the food you eat. Plus, there's theories and some research showing that after two hours, insulin starts your cells aren't as receptive to the insulin. So you're almost setting up two hours after what looks like almost an insulin resistant state, even though you're not insulin resistant and you're tired and cranky the rest of the day because you didn't refuel your muscles. Me? <laughs> and, and what we find personally is that if uh-huh. you delay a meal, you end up binging or well, not oh, binging, but you absolutely. end up eating a no, lot you do. more. And, and a lot of crap. And yeah, because it's just survival mode. It's like, well, I'm eating now and my body isn't, you know, in, yep. a, in a calm space and I'm just going to eat yep. to fill that gap. I, sorry, you go, Kira. Well, what, what happens too is, and this isn't going to sound very scientific, but your brain is like, where's my freaking fu- fuel? Yeah. And so it gets angry at you and it's like, I'm going to turn off your hunger for sweets and fast digesting sugars because your brain knows that is the fastest thing through your digestive system. So it can have a hit. So if you delay eating by two or three hours, you're exhausted the rest of the day. You don't make as much glycogen from the food you eat, which means your body's going to use it, that food for other things, potentially storage, which we don't, that other type of storage mm-hmm. that hits your hips and your thighs. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, you just are craving sugars the whole time trying to make up your for your energy expenditure. Mm. So you, you've done this beautiful workout, eat the beautiful meal. Mm-hmm. After finish it's training. not to be feared. And oh. what about, do you see a lot of women after training then have coffee on an empty stomach and or, oh, yeah. or, or, or have before. pre-workout? Yeah, like can you yeah. give us, shine a bit of light on caffeine? Right. Look, caffeine in sport is phenomenal. It's yeah. It's illegal, not illegal. It is a legal substance that makes us feel fabulous. Mm -hmm. Yes, it hits our adrenals. And if we're doing that all the time for energy, that's not good. But caffeine in itself is what we call an ergogenic aid. It actually helps us perform. Mentally, we feel sharper. Um, It makes us feel like the workout isn't as hard as it actually is. Decreased perception of effort, or I'm not saying that right, but anyway. Sounds good. Everything in moderation, including moderation. And I think that's probably usually what I say to my clients. It's like, how's coffee working for you? Yeah. And look, uh, so I'm pro-coffee if we have to go pro-coffee. But you have to be careful with it. And yes, coffee before training, if it doesn't bother you, um, I would say black. Not, you know, if, um, you know, people that are jamming in a ton of sugar or milks, do you really like coffee or do you just like milky sweet drinks? I'm always kind of questioning that. Yeah. Um. So no, I'm not against, there's actually a little bit of research at the moment. It's not totally in agreement yet that a little bit of caffeine after training while you eat 
actually might enhance your glycogen replacement, your mm. stored carbs, interesting. which is interesting in itself. The other yeah. thing about caffeine, which naturopaths don't, oh, they like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble from the naturopathic community, but <laughs> there's research to show that if you are a habituated caffeine drinker, it's not dehydrating. Yeah, because your tolerance, yes. like anything. Yeah, yeah. look over, over in Italy, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, and my grandma yeah. drinks a cup of coffee before bed. She's like, yeah. night. Like it's just <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you know, and it depends individually. Like, as you said, it's how your body copes with it. And I've had years where I did not cope with caffeine and I sadly had to give it up for two years. And that was like the saddest two years of my life. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. And as women hit perimenopause, I ask them to have a look because your nervous system, you know, with a loss of hormones, everything rewires and you can be a lot more sensitive. So a lot of women will find as they hit their mid forties and beyond they're a, they are a lot less tolerant to volumes of caffeine and they need to pull it back and maybe feel better. But yeah. Let's touch on I that know. point. Isn't, but... isn't that sad? Just to warn yeah. you for in decades time. <laughs> I know I feel like I'm pretty close. <laughs> Um, just to sort of wrap up in terms of the, the training for, um, throughout like your menstrual cycle, I think you're Mm. right in saying it's so individualized and an intuitiveness intuition trumps in terms of if you want to train on day one of your period, then do it if it feels good. But, you know, there is these sort of some guidelines in terms of what the hormones are saying, but it's really quite individual. So individual and some women's hormones don't decrease as quickly as others. Like some women hormones take mm-hmm. a big dive early in their period. And like, I, I, I definitely like, I'm speaking from my own, you know, I remember hitting my period and I'd be like, I'm invincible by day mm. one, but that was me. I had great hormone clearance. Whereas other people it's to day three before they feel better. And just because I'm saying you can train hard, especially if you've got like endometriosis or a really tough period for other reasons, don't do what your body needs. And I think that's part of what we've moved away from is we don't check it, just check in on yourself. Is it okay to run hard today? Just because it's in your schedule and your coach is going to yell at you. Well, you know what? Don't care. We're not computers. Yeah. And I think that's what we've forgotten in our very, you know, I have just seen the Barbie movie. And I'm not saying patriarchal world, but science is very male dominant in its research. Mm. And we have forgotten in women, and we've forgotten in this world of, going to work and having babies or not having babies and achieving. And we forgot that we're this beautiful cyclical being, but the cycle is like month. It's not a 24 hour. Males are on a 24 hour cycle. Women are on a monthly cycle, mm-hmm. even pre puberty and post menopause. We still have these, especially post menopause. We still have the cyclical echo that we need to support rather than living on a 24-hour cycle. Mm, Absolutely. And what about, we see a lot of hypothalamic amenorrhea in clinics. So essentially women who are losing their periods. And when we have the conversation around potentially over-exercising coupled with under-eating, it can get really confusing and even disheartening for people because, you know, the last thing I want to do is tell someone to stop exercising, particularly if that's their mental release, that's how they cope with stress, that's how they manage anxiety. 
you know yeah. so I would love to know your approach particularly when it comes to hypothalamic amenorrhea and exercise yeah so hypothalamic amenorrhea used to be or this used to be what we called female athlete triad, but we're not using that term anymore because we also have to be inclusive of all genders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so we're talking about low energy availability issues. There's other words for it as well, but let's talk about just with females. So, um, or anybody that's menstruating. Would that be and- re- what you call reds? Yeah, like relative, it's now called reds. Okay, relative energy, relative energy deficiency syndrome. syndrome. Mm-hmm. Because when it was the triad, it was just about three things, but they've actually gone. Oh, this affects every system of the body. You know, from cardiovascular to hormonal to endocrine, everything. So hypothalamic amenorrhea is the loss of the period, or before that happens, you actually lose ovulation first, usually. Um, due to under eating for your volume of training or volume of energy output. It's not saying that somebody has an eating disorder. Yes, with an eating disorder, this can also happen. But Mm -hmm. really what it is, is it is a mismatch between how much you're expending versus how much you're intaking. So we call that low energy availability. And no, you do not have to stop training. And my heart breaks when I hear practitioners like, oh my God, I have to stop. Stop all exercise. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst thing you can do for somebody's mental health, Absolutely. especially if they're a constant trainer. Sometimes you might ask them to pull back a little bit if there is overtraining syndrome occurring. Um, but you have to find that place that works for each individual client mentally and emotionally for how much training they're going to do versus how much you're going to get them to eat. So no, I do not make people stop exercising by any means. Um, I might, sometimes I see it, you know, some athletes and their coaches don't have a day off per week. Like they literally train seven days a week. And sometimes they train twice a day five days a week of that seven. And I would say, and I don't have any research for this, but I'm always like, can we locate a full 24 hours of rest? Mm -hmm. And I mean, sleep over the night, a full day of rest and then sleep again. Whereas sometimes coaches will be like, oh no, she has 24 hours off. And it's, they do a hard training session on Sunday morning Mm -hmm. and then they don't train again until Monday night. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to see if I'm coming from my naturopathic, let's let her adrenals calm down. Let's, this can be for any uh, sex or gender, actually, just let's, let's rest. You know, we, we are not energizer bunnies that you could just replace the batteries. You have to have that rest as well. Um, you know, we don't heal if we're not sleeping and resting. So what is it with low energy availability? What did you actually want me to answer besides explaining that? I work with it all the the time. The exercise. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to know, you know, you don't want it to be a black or white situation where it's just cut it out. Cause like you said, that impacts from a mental health perspective. I think also, is there like, you know, we don't do a lot of calorie counting in our practice, but I do wonder, particularly when it comes to hypothalamic amenorrhea and people who say they train most days and that feels good for them. 
at what point do you say, okay, hang on, let's see yes. how many calories you're getting or, or what's your approach from a food yeah, standpoint? You have to do calorie counting there. As long as there's not an eating disorder issue where that's going to throw them a wall, let's, mm-hmm. let's talk in general. Yes, there are actual calculations to do and I can send you through a little worksheet on I've those. Re- I've read this section of the textbook. <laughs> oh, 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 okay. <laughs> but I'll yeah. happily receive uh, a worksheet. There are <laughs> calculations for estimating if you're under eating for your energy output. And I do do those calculations with my clients and you have to get above, a, it, you have to get above, it, in the end it comes to, you need to be having 30 calories her, oh God, now I can see my worksheet. The number is 30 that we're looking at, 30 calories per kilogram. Uh, I have to send you the thing. Anyway, Mm -hmm. basically what you're doing is you're taking their total calorie intake per day. Mm -hmm. You subtract it by their output of energy. Like if you're using a Fitbit or a Garmin, or you calculate about how many um, calories are expending in energy per day. Obviously, you subtract that from the total. So say someone's taking in 2,000 calories a day, but they're expending 700 calories a day in exercise. Mm -hmm. That leaves you with 1,300 calories for your body's physiology. I got to write this. I'm a visual person, so I'm writing the same time here. So then you take that 1,300 and you divide it by your lean muscle mass or your fat free body mass. So you need to get on to like a bioimpedance scale or use a DEXA and you need to know Mm -hmm. how much you weigh minus your body fat, Mm -hmm. right? So say you got 45 kilos, right? So you divide the 1300 by four, you divide 45 into 1300. Did I say that in the right direction? (laughs) And it will give you a number. That number must be above 30 to keep you out of low energy availability. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. If somebody is missing their period, I'm going to make them get to 35, 36 minimum. Mm -hmm. I don't want them just above what's, you know, what's the minimum especially while we're trying to get the period back. You know, it's the more months you have lost a period, the more long-term damage can potentially occur, especially to like your bone density Mm -hmm. and and things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot more to getting your period back than just eating enough, but eating enough is massive. And one of the other really big things, um, and there's different opinions on this, but there's potentially a carb threshold that you need to be above like from a starchy carb perspective or like just a carb all carb but starchy carbs get you there faster so there's a threshold that we each have somewhere between 90 and 120 grams of carb that then tells the body and the brain and all your little glands in your brain um it tells the body, oh, I have enough carb to be safe to have a period to potentially have to carry another body, like mm-hmm. to, carry, to carry, you know. Because like you were saying before, 
just even being in a premenstrual phase, your body's requiring more energy. You, you This process needs energy. And if yeah. you don't have those savings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's that. right. It's making it. you yeah. hungrier just in case there is an implantation of an embryo and you have to feed somebody else, right? So there's this threshold that's somewhere between 90 and 120, 130 for most women that signals pituitary and other things, um, it signals uh, what we call luteinizing hormone pulsatility, which is one of our hormones to tell the body it's okay to ovulate, which means it's okay to fall pregnant. So for LH pulsatility, we need this certain amount of carb. Um, Some people will say it's 90. Other people say 120. If you talk to Dr. Laura Bryden, (laughs) she'll push you to 150. Oh yeah, 150. She'll she'll be like, no, Kira, just put them on 150. We need it all back. Just get them on there. And I'm like, sounds delicious. Sometimes I'm working with (laughs) carb phobic people, but, but, and this is where like, you can go into ketosis as a female. If people decide to do a low carb diet or ketosis, that's great. And then there are anomalies that can stay in ketosis for years, or if you have PCOS and insulin resistance, you know, you're probably not ovulating or you might not be ovulating anyway. So it's better to lose the weight and then deal with stuff mm-hmm. later. But you, sorry, I'm going in so many circles here. I'm on, um, you, LH pulsatility, carbs, where was The I? HPO axis. It's, it's yeah. more just having that communication between the brain and the ovaries so with with low carb or ketosis often people are like no i'm great i'm still getting my period but you gotta watch it the minute the period starts to wobble the minute it gets long or short or a lot lighter you need to stop that low carb for a few months so i will let people do low carb but i'm a fan of only three months at a time and then you got to come out so almost like a season you can go, mm-hmm. you know, autumn and spring and then summer and winter, you got to be eating differently. And I find that works almost cyclical, mm, yeah. low carbing if you're trying to low carb. And there are anomalies where people are like, no, I have my period and it's fine. But a lot of people find after two to three months, things go walkabout, as we would say in Australia. Yeah, welcome there. <laughs> um, income. Um, so with PCOS then, you know, I guess it's hard because a lot of people, especially like our younger clients, are getting so much information, health information from social media. And yeah. these people may not have health degrees. They may not be in the medical space, but they're, you know, there's concerns around don't eat carbs, don't do HIIT training, do this. In terms yeah. of if, if you had a PCOS client present to you, how do you sort of, what's your sort of approach there around yeah. exercise? Can I also back up and say, because I can hear Laura yelling in my brain, <laughs> who's like the hormone guru. Um, it, it's sometimes when people don't have a period, it accidentally gets diagnosed as PCOS, mm-hmm. but it's actually hypothalamic amenorrhea Mm -hmm. which is like your period is stopped like your whole hpo axis is just basically shut it down because you're not eating enough you know to have a period whereas with pcos they cannot have a period but it's a totally different situation in pcos your luteinizing hormone will be really high in in um hypothalamic amenorrhea your luteinizing hormone will be really low 
Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. But the problem is if you don't know and someone just goes, oh, I had an ultrasound and they said I had polycystic ovaries, which is not a diagnostic, as you guys know, I'm being more mm-hmm. specialist than this. That's not allowed, not supposed to be used for diagnosis anymore because you can have lots of follicles on your ovaries at any time. The problem is one of the treatments for PCOS is a low carb mm-hmm diet which is absolutely awesome for them because they have insulin resistance and if they have insulin resistance low carb is incredible for them but you accidentally can have these women that actually have hypothalamic amenorrhea that then start low carbing thinking they have pcos and they're Mm -hmm. actually making their situation worse worse so much which is why you need hormone testing yeah completely yeah Yeah. or in fasting insulin and not just fasting glucose but fasting insulin and Mm -hmm. but you absolutely need that lh fsh ratio and Mm -hmm. yeah and what about in the space of insulin resistant high androgen pcos yes what about it? What's the question? With exercise. So oh, your yes. sort of recommendations, um, like we were saying, uh, some people are scared that they, if they do HIIT training, that may worsen that sort of um, adrenal Any picture. exercise. Yeah. Anybody with insulin resistance, the more exercise, not overtraining, but I don't, I don't recall reading anything about not doing HIIT training. If if no, it's almost like this. It's almost like weird this idea because, that people yeah, have told themselves. Yeah. It's like anyone who has hormones, don't do in uh, high intensity interval training. It'll be the worst no. thing for you. When in fact, you're absolutely right. The question is, what type of exercise are you doing? How frequently are you doing it? At what intensity? And how do you feel afterwards and for the rest of the day? And the yeah. variables, variables around yeah. that, the caffeine intake, the intermittent fasting. Uh, what about? Yeah, I wouldn't, can I just say, hold on, let me say, like, one of the best remedies for insulin resistance is exercise. Mm. Like, truly, your cells become more potent to insulin, mm-hmm. even if your insulin isn't crash harsh, if I can, that's not very scientific sounding, but it helps, all exercise helps insulin resistance, and it gives you a little bit of a freebie to safely eat carbs after training, whereas you probably want to be avoiding starchy carbs at all your other meals. And you get these poor people with PCOS and insulin resistance that are so scared to have carbs. You know what? Right after training, it's so safe. Your body Mm -hmm. will, as long as you're not overeating, your body will safely deal with those carbs. Exercise is so and it's antidepressants and yes yeah, so many benefits yeah. yeah maybe on that there's a, there's been a really great um study recently come out oh. of australia i think it was maybe in adelaide um university finding the effects of exercise to be just as beneficial on low mood or mm. mild depression uh, oh, yeah. mild depression um similar to the effects of antidepressants or psychology so yeah in terms of for somebody who's not doing anything yeah. where would they start just outside in sunshine so you're also getting you know not with sunglasses on the whole time right so you're getting sunshine on the skin obviously be careful with that but so you're synthesizing vitamin d you're in the full spectrum light which is great for your circadian rhythms which also helps regulate so many other things um look walking walking is so you know walking hike go for bush walks 
uh, Pilates, yoga, you know, if you need to start slow, start slow, but anything that gets you off the couch, you know, even mm-hmm. um, I'm a big fan of TheraBands, you know, the little stretchy bands, mm-hmm. if you can't afford to go to the gym or weights, TheraBands are amazing. There's all kinds of YouTube stuff to do. So YouTube is incredible for that. I, I like so free. Joe Wicks YouTube. He's just like yeah. all those uh, bedroom exercises, all for yeah. beginners, like low intensity. If you want, you can find these things for free. Yeah. I mean, getting to the, I mean, not everyone lives near the ocean, but getting to the ocean and, and, you know, cold plunging, that'll change your whole dynamics of how you feel for the rest of the day as well. Um, Oh my God. Yeah. Anything. You don't have to go out and run. You don't have to go out and lift heavy. You just got to go out or, you know, what I find this sounds so silly, but get a pet. If you have a place where you can have, we know pets help with depression pets help with loneliness. And it's amazing how many people won't take the time to take themselves out for exercise, but they would never not take their dog out for a walk. Yeah, isn't so that fascinating? It's yeah. pets are like this amazing therapy on all these levels. And a lot of, get a dog that needs a lot of walking and eventually you'll end up running with your dog, right? Mm. Yeah. And then what about heading towards perimenopause? menopause particularly when it comes to weight and we see this a lot in clinical practices we hear some women say you know I turn 40 and then all of a sudden I have like a tire around my belly oh yeah they describe it and (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and so my question is when it comes to exercise and perimenopause and the hormonal fluctuations that are happening there are your recommendations any different Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is also where you got to look at it individually, but a lot of people get into their 40s and they start to gain weight. So they're like, okay, what worked in my 20s and 30s? Oh, I calorie restricted and I flogged myself and then instantly my body changed. But sadly, (laughs) that doesn't happen in the 40s and 50s to the same. And people are like, I don't understand. I'm doing everything I've always done, but I'm now putting on weight. So as you lose the hormones your basal metabolic rate potentially does go down. As we age, we lose muscle mass every decade. And your muscle mass is what holds your metabolic rate. It's what helps you burn. So 40s and 50s is all about holding muscle in any way you can. So, but the other thing is, as you lose hormones, you are more reactive to the stress hormones in a not great way. I didn't Mm -hmm. say that very scientifically, but your body is more sensitive to high cortisol and going, oh my God, there's, there's something's going on. I'll store all this energy as body fat because you're really stressed all the time. So usually that's for some people, the peak of their career, the peak of, you know, their, it may be a breakup, teenagers, (laughs) separation um, with a partner. Uh, There's so much going on in that sort of midlife And as we lose progesterone, we lose, progesterone is calming to your nervous Mm. system. And this is where anxiety goes up, uh, trouble sleeping goes up. Trouble sleeping means higher cortisol, means putting on more body weight. Like it's, you know, perimenopause is, in my opinion, a horrible physiological joke. 
No, like, who it designed so it? Me. <laughs> who did design this? Because it's not. I'm gonna you know, write it. It can be amazing. I know. Send it. Send it up. up. <laughs> send send it, it up. Whoever it goes to. <laughs> down up. Um. So, you know. Yes, you'll hear, oh, do hit training because that's really good. Or you want, you know, whatever works for you again, but don't just flog a dead horse, even though mm-hmm. that's a terrible expression. I find most women at perimenopause have to ease off on their really hard training every day of the week. They can still do hard training two to three days a week. Or they need to swap from, I mean, HIT is so healthy for your cardiovascular system, which also becomes more at risk at this time, you know, but this is where lifting weights, mm-hmm. you know, lift. And they talk about, again, I'm not exercise physiologist, but they talk about lifting heavy is even better than light. But you know what? If you don't like lifting heavy, then lift light. Like really, as long Just as you're do lifting, something. you need to do the strength training to stabilize muscle and for your bone density. So but I find most women also need to just back off of their long miles of running or their really whatever harder, or, you know, they're going to, you know, boot camp in the morning and flogging a lot more walking, go, go for, you know, bush hikes. We also need our friends more at this time. Like females mm-hmm. need their female friends at this time. And it's interesting how into hiking you get and, but, you know, you can do two to three hours with girlfriends and decompress, but you're actually this beautiful, slow, gentle on the body hiking. That's great for burning fat as a fuel. So I'm also using hand-eye coordination in terms of unstable ground. I love hiking. Yeah. I find it so therapeutic. Maybe I'm in my. It's amazing. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of joke about it the other day. I came home the other day after a three hour hike with a girlfriend and I was like, that went by in like 30 minutes because, you know, you hit 20 different important topics and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, friends are so important for stress as well. So I would say from personal experience and watching people, you need to shift to some of that calmer stuff. You say, I still run, I still lift weights, but maybe not to the intensity I used to, but I also don't have that desire to be that intense all the time. So you really you really have to tune in to what your body's asking for and sleep becomes so if you do anything to be able to get good sleep and as you lose progesterone that gets harder i know i i laugh horrible i have two young kids and i'm always kind of laughing going come on like why are you resisting this sleep like it's It's, downhill from here just enjoy it while you can yeah it's amazing it's and i think the way kids sleep is also a little bit genetic so if you're a good sleeper and your kids aren't you should blame your partner Mm, okay just trying to pass blame I'm just trying to pass blame yeah so for our listeners um to this episode we just want to make you aware that uh Kira has an amazing Instagram and website so lots of really good information there at uber health uber health which yeah I'm just going to clarify has been my business name for uber long (laughs) before 25 years that's been my business name yeah. And because everyone's all, oh my God, that's so hip, but kind of <laughs> tacky. And I'm like, oh, right you did it before yeah. it was cool. Yeah. They've called once or twice, hitching around, <laughs> you know, trying to acquire it. But right now it's still working as business name. Oh, that's funny. Um, I can't say they've called. 
somebody has called asking. I just Ooh. assumed it was a third party calling for them. I can't actually <laughs> say that. Oh, that is so great. That's the next thing. So we have our segment, Quickie and Three, where we are going to rattle oh, off three yeah. random oh, questions like to that. you uh, that have no real significance to anything we were no, talking bit about. Of fun. Okay. Bit of fun. Juicier That's the better. If you uh, weren't in this profession, if you weren't yes. a naturopath or a sports nutritionist, what would you be? Yeah, there's so many things. But the thing that popped into my head first was I think I would have loved to have been an extreme sport. Oh, Sounds about right. I knew, I knew you no, were no, going to go down this No, no, no. I would have liked to have been a doctor in extreme um, oh God, now I can't even think of that word for it. Like a doctor at Everest base camp or, Ooh, you know, in yeah, the extreme like elements, there's an actual name for it. Trial and or I, like... I'm missing it now. Like, yeah. Extreme adventure sports doctor. Wow. Have you ever Which... done, have you ever done an, an intense hike or anything like that? Uh, I've done a bunch of Ironman triathlons. Mm-hmm. That was pretty intense. Um, I have not hiked to base camp, but I have hiked around the Himalayas. Um, Amazing. I may have. Yeah, no. So I've done some extreme hiking. Nothing. I don't like I've never had crampons on or anything like that. I'm <laughs> fascinated with climbers, but I have zero desire to be a climber. But I would be at base camp supporting them all yeah. happily. <laughs> and I guess that brings us to the next extreme question, but what's the craziest, most extreme sort of, whether it be your uh, experience or your client's experience where they've, you know, come to you and said, okay, this is my exercise goal and this is my dietary goal. How can I get there? Yeah. I, I mean, I have worked with people that have climbed Everest. That's really when they come with something really bizarre it's fun because you have to think outside the Mm. box and think about what's going on so climbing Everest there's um there's a famous ultra marathon I've had a lot of clients actually called Marathon La Saab and it's five days of ultra marathons in the Sahara Desert where they literally are like sleeping under a tarp in a sleeping bag carrying all their own food and it's insane and it's a 50% dropout but wow. honestly, the the most bizarre thing is I had someone call me a few years ago and they were like, so I've signed up to do like an adventure holiday that's going to be similar to going on Survivor, but it's not Survivor. <laughs> so I'm going to be on this island and I need to know what plants I can eat from that island safely in case I'm starving and also if I have choices of food and they're offering certain foods what should I pick oh my gosh is this alone and so they were googling you know like hip naturopaths and it comes up with sports nutrition so I guess they hit me for sports nutrition you know and I was like oh so this is like going on a holiday of pretend survivor oh my gosh which they were actually maybe was it they may or may not have actually been on the show but yeah. they obviously couldn't tell me of course no oh wow and so, yeah they did very well that's all I'm gonna say right I won't oh. say who it was or what season but yeah yes. but lucky didn't, like, sounds like they won lucky didn't say any wrong mushrooms or was yeah, that too well, soon to talk I about actually no no I actually <laughs> talked more about we practiced fasting Mm-hmm. We practiced, would you be better? You know, we went through the idea of, would you be better off taking the carb with protein? What, you know, what can you 
what yeah we went through the psychology of fasting yeah fascinating um, but I declined to tell her what plants she could eat because I didn't want that responsibility I yeah, was like I risky. think you need to research that island mm. and what the edible plants look like because I didn't want it, it was on foreign soil so I'm not even saying mm-hmm. it was Australian it might have been another country um and I was like, you need to go look that up yourself. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be responsible for going, oh, yeah, you can have that mushroom. And then, and then dead. yeah, they're dead. Well, <laughs> you don't want that on your show. Or jumping off a cliff, tripping. Yeah. yeah. Deadly struggle. That's my weirdest. Was that weird? Yeah, that was weird. That's so it was pretty funny. It took me ages to realize they really, really may or may not have really been on the show and that it wasn't to pretend holiday they had booked for you did like, this full circle with it I was like is that just an extreme weight loss kind of camp that they're going to <laughs> oh my gosh. and then they popped up may or may not have popped up on the show and I was like oh my god oh there they are fasting eating mushrooms <laughs> look at that plant that must have been safe <laughs> and okay our final question is then um what is your star sign and do you think you fit the characteristics of your star sign. Yes, absolutely. Ab- yeah, absolutely. So I lo- I'm a fan of astrology as much as I'm sciencey and naturopathy. I have a huge, what are we going to call it? Woo-woo side. So yes, I'm an Aries. I'm an April oh, Aries. Yeah. And I'm absolutely an intense kind of, ooh, it's a fire sign. Yeah, I'm absolutely. I get super excited. I run into things without looking and yeah. Intense, extreme, uber. Fun. And fun. I think I'm fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So So yes and yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did it. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us, Kira. I think really fun. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of really good topics that um, are gonna be well received. I just for lots of different people as well. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, leave us a review and follow us on socials. We'd love to hear from you. 